Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Home Roasting Pro podcast. Roast coffee like a pro in your home. I'm your host, Jonathan Gladys, and let's get into our episode. So today we have a really, really interesting podcast with a coffee farmer uh, named Ashley Williams. And so he is a farmer in Honduras. And uh, so I, I've spoken with many roasters, you know, coffee professionals, but I've never had a conversation with a coffee farmer. So for me, uh, this was a very insightful conversation, a lot of things I never knew, uh, a lot of things that uh, I you know, learned for the first time. And so uh, I think it's just, you know, if you're a coffee nerd, you will probably love this episode and just talking about the way that coffee is processed, talking about the different varietals of um, coffee shrubs and the different kind of beans there are, all, all kinds of stuff like that. So just a really kind of in-depth look at uh, what goes on, on, you know, in a coffee farm, uh, maybe some of the stuff that we don't um, see because we're just roasting it, but... Um, so I think you'll learn a lot and maybe gain some more respect for what the farmers do and how, you know, what they're doing affects the flavors of our cup. So I don't want to drag it out too much longer. Uh, here's my interview with Ashley Williams. So I have with me uh, today is Ashley Williams, and he uh, owns a coffee farm in Honduras. So uh, introduce yourself and tell us tell us about yourself there. Okay, my name is Ashley Williams. I own Legacy Farms Coffee. Um, we have two farms in Honduras, uh, Finca Juancito and Finca Williams, and we sell our coffee through the name of Legacy Farms Coffee, green or roasted in the U.S. Uh, we got our first farm about 2009. We bought our larger farm in 2014. Um, we sort of fell into coffee by by accident doing mission projects, but now we're uh, we're focused on specialty coffee. We have a full cupping lab out on the farm. We plant the seeds all the way to the full processing of it. We dehull the coffee. Uh, This year, we'll actually prep it. Uh, We've got our exporting license, so we'll be exporting our own coffee this year. And we we mainly process three different ways. We do a washed coffee, a honey-processed coffee, and a natural coffee. Who is uh, your main... Like, who purchases your coffee? Are you selling it to, like, big roasting companies? Are you doing more, like, home roasters? Like, what's your main kind of target for selling your green coffee? Well, uh, of course, by just from a volume standpoint, uh, the larger roasters are, you know, our biggest customers. Yeah. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but my favorite customers are the home roasters. And I've always felt that the home roaster is more diligent about doing their research most of the time, they more know more about how to roast the coffee than I do. And I feel like I've learned more from the home roasters than I have the big guys, mm-hmm. and especially the big probat guys. They're so busy, they don't have time to talk to you. You know, the home roasters, I end up in the garage roasting on the hot top or a B-more or something like that for a couple of hours. Yeah. Um, so some of my, my favorite customers are the um, the guys that are buying three or four or ten pounds. And we sit there in the garage for a while and, and roast. And uh, I, I learned a lot about coffee from those guys. But we're, most of our coffee is sold green. Uh, this year, we're doing a little more roasting and selling roasted coffee. Yeah. 
but the green the green cells are our, our main coffee cell. You have a rough estimate to how many pounds you you like export a year to the states. Uh, this year it was uh, right at twenty thousand pounds of wow. green coffee that we we brought in. Wow! And I'll save maybe you know seven or eight thousand pounds of that. We're hoping to roast and sell roasted, but the rest of it we sell uh, you know on our Legacy Farms uh, site. We sell that to the home roasters. We already have contracts before it gets to the states for the bulk of it, you know, from larger roasters. Cool. We don't deal with the really large roasters. You know, most of my customers buy anywhere from three to ten bags. And with the exception of one customer in Alaska, we deliver all the coffee personally. I put it in my truck and bring it to you. Wow. That's awesome. So um, I think, uh, you know, maybe some people aren't sure, like, when it comes to bags, when you talk about bags, you know, commercial roasters know what that means. But for home roasters like us that, you know, we're not typically buying bag, how big, how many pounds is a burlap bag of coffee? In Honduras, it's 69 kilos, which ends up to be 151 pounds. 151 pounds. And what does that typically sell for when you sell that to like a big roaster? Uh, most of them, and our clients, uh, we do a lot of projects on the farm, so our clients are are willing to pay more to help support that. But generally, it's around $4 a pound is what our coffee sells for. Gotcha. And uh, do you, um, do you what, what is the normal washed coffee from your farm? Do you know what they normally cup? Like score, cup score? We, uh, and the cupping is so subjective. Sure, um, sure. We usually, there's two, uh, we usually take it to two different laboratories and then we pick the lower of the two scores. And that's what we, as long as they're not more than a point apart, we take the lower of the two scores. Our wash this year um, was an 85.5. We had three different washes all the way to 86 were our wash scores. Gotcha. And is there, um, maybe you would know more than I do, is there a certain cup score that it becomes specialty coffee after a certain rating, or is that kind of more subjective as well? No, uh, there is a definite 80. Uh, it 80, has to be okay. an 80 to be yeah, to be considered specialty. Gotcha. But if from an ex- exporting standpoint, you wouldn't. I wouldn't want to sell you my coffee and label it as specialty coffee, and and it be an eighty in Honduras, and then I ship it to you, because coffee could easily lose a point in shipping. I've and heard so, that. Yeah. And uh, so you know, you never know if you're on the top container, you're going to be exposed to exposed to more sun. Mm. If you're on the bottom container, it's going to be more hot and humid down inside the you know, ship and and there's a lot more smells and things going on down there. And so it's, uh, you never know, you know, and this last year, instead of shipping our coffee to Houston, they ship it to New York. Houston takes four days on the barge. New York takes 18. Whoa. And so, you know, we, we had to stop before we started shipping coffee, uh, coffee out and we had to recup everything to make sure we didn't lose anything. Yeah. And uh, I had a friend that was a roaster and he told me like one time he went on a trip uh, to actually a coffee farm, and he said that the coffee, when you drink the coffee that's like been roasted on the farm, it tastes better than once it's been exported to the States. You know, he said it just had a different kind of taste to it um, before it had been sent over, you know, seas and stuff. I, you know, I, I was exactly the same thing. Uh, I know a lot of that is like just from a cooking standpoint. Uh, my son was with me in Honduras last week, and when he's making pancakes, he has to do a different mix in Honduras than he does here in Kansas because of the altitude. Hmm. And so when I, I've, I've brought coffee 
and roasted it on Friday, and then I fly in on Monday or Tuesday, and I roast a batch here in the state, exact same coffee, and it'll taste different, for, you know, just for the altitude difference. Yeah. And so I'm trying to have to learn how to roast it different according to the altitude. But when you talk about fresh coffee, you know, the day that coffee hits 12.5% in our solar dryers, which is like a big greenhouse, uh, we bring it in the lab and cup it. And so we'll have more of a green vegetable taste, and we know that's going to go away with, with, you know, after we age it. But that coffee has such a great taste, and it's got a creamier taste, and it's got a better mouthfeel, just because it is fresh. That's as fresh as you can possibly get. And so it's always, I think it's always going to be better on the farm. Yeah. Um, also, maybe talk about briefly, you know, I know that, you know, roasted coffee, you've got a shelf life of a couple weeks before it starts to noticeably taste bad, right? But when it comes to green coffee, we know that green coffee has a much longer shelf life. What would you say, you know, a coffee that's been harvested this year versus a coffee that's been harvested in 2017, how much of a flavor difference or a cup score difference would you say there is? Is it minimal or is it, um, is it pretty noticeable? It's going to depend on the variety. Like a Catuí and a Bourbon, they seem to have a lot longer shelf life. It also depends on your resting time. So the day that that coffee is either on the patio or in our solar dryer and hits 12.5% humidity, we stop drying it. And at that point, we put it into a climate-controlled bodega and we rest it for 60 days. But there's been some studies that show that if you rest the coffee longer before you ship it or before you haul it, it will have a longer shelf life. You know, that's a parchment coffee. So we rest it in parchment. And after we trigger it or dehole it, then it becomes green coffee. And so the longer you rest that coffee, the studies that we've read show the longer shelf life it's going to have. So you sort of have to weigh that with the variety of the coffee. The Catalese, the Bourbons tend to have a few months later. But we also just roasted uh, four ounces of our 2014 crop. And just to see what that green coffee after four years. So we did some 2014, 2015, and 2016 is all we roasted. And and you can definitely tell a difference in it. Um, but it's going to be somebody like a home roaster that is more into coffee, that's, that's looking for those definitive characteristics and tastes that will recognize that. So a one-year-old coffee, I think the average person wouldn't notice it. Right. Uh, you know, your, your roasters, are, we're roasting coffee at home and wherever because we really enjoy coffee. I think we're going to notice that more than the average person. Right. Yeah, I've heard um, just with other roasting friends that, you know, that if they have a, a last year's crop coffee, you know, it's really hard to tell the difference. I mean, if you have a really, a really kind of... Uh, um, specific, you know, flavor profile looking for, and you can maybe notice slight differences, but it's really hard to pick out. Um, now that's interesting. You, you tried, you know, four or five year old coffee. That, that's pretty crazy. Um, but, uh, you would say typically a coffee that's one year old, it's not going to have a huge flavor loss versus like a harvest of a few months ago. It shouldn't, as long as it's been properly taken care of. Yeah. Uh, we we store our coffee. We had to this year because we had more than I could put in my bodega in Kansas. Uh, we store it in the caves in Kansas City. And it's these giant limestone caves. And they're perfect humidity and perfect climate. Um, and so we just got a bag of Guatemalan coffee that was from the Cup of Excellence from 2011. 
And so when I when I get it back to Honduras, we're going to roast it and have a cupping and see what that tastes like. And it's been stored for seven or eight years wow. in the caves, perfect humidity, and it's in a vacuum packed bag. And it was number twenty two in the cup of excellence. Wow. So it should have been a really good. It was a Catalina, so it should have been a really good coffee to begin with. Yeah. And so we're going to cut that with some professional Q graders and just sort of you know, just to sort of play with it and see. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, I think we'll move on now. We'll talk about the way that coffee is processed. So um, there's many different ways to process coffee. And um, for maybe people that are n- maybe are more new into uh, the whole specialty coffee scene or roasting, home roasting, they might not know what all those terms mean. And so maybe just talk us through, you know, what is a washed coffee? What is a natural? What is a honey? Like, what does that look like on the processing end for someone like you? What do you do with those coffees? Okay. Well, I uh, I tend to process our coffees. Uh, the weather determines a little bit of it. But a washed coffee on our farm, we have a machine that will depulp it, you know, take the cherry off, and then it shoots high-pressure water on it while it's spinning the coffee around and takes all that mucilage off. And that's a nice washed coffee. It'll dry out in about four or five days. My favorite coffee is a canal washed. And we depulp that coffee. We put it into a canal full of spring water, and we have these big wooden rakes, and they rake that coffee back and forth, drain the water, put in new water three times, and then that is what we call our canal-washed coffee. It's a cleaner coffee in the cup, and it's more balanced. Uh, For me, it gives a more definite chocolate. Chocolate is our heaviest note in our cupping scores, and so it, it really gives a clean cup, balanced with a harder chocolate, you know, hit to it. So I enjoy the washed coffees, and they're very versatile, how you can brew them. Uh, My favorite coffee is what's called red honey processed. And within three hours of that coffee being picked, it's uh, it's in the beneficial being depulped. And so when that red honey process is depulped, it goes straight to the uh, patio. No, No water, no nothing. And after about three days, you can pick that slimy, gooey coffee up and put it in your mouth, and it tastes like a peach preserve. Mm. It's super sweet, really tastes good, and has a, a peach aroma to it. That that ends up translating into a fruity cup. It, you would never, we've never had it described as peach in the cup, just fruity. Yeah. But that's my favorite coffee. A uh, a yellow honey process is where we take that same defaulted coffee and just float it. No moving water. We put it in steel canal full of uh, spring water and the coffee that floats we scoop it off and throw it away and then we drain the water off of it and put that into the uh, canal or put that into the patio and then that coffee is allowed to dry three or four days and then it goes into a solar dryer and that coffee will have a little bit less mucilage but and so it's going to have a brighter cleaner cup it's going to have a light fruity note to it with just real light chocolate and caramel undertones uh, and that coffee will dry probably in about 12 to 14 days, something like that. And the black honey is where when we, we readjust the depulping machine so that a lot of mucilage is still on the cherry. And that mucilage will keep fermenting and all that, you know, just like the red honey and the yellow honey, that mucilage soaks into the to the bean. And so that bean will start picking up those flavors. The black honey is going to give you a harder fermented taste, which I really enjoy in my like aerial press or an espresso. 
And then the, the longest coffee, the most difficult coffee, is the natural. So a full natural is picked. We throw it into a tank and float it. Everything that floats is moved out, and we don't use it. The coffee that goes to the bottom of the tank, we drain the water out, and we put it straight on the patio. And it stays on the patio for at least about 12 or 14 days. And we move it every probably 45 minutes to turn in the coffee. And after about 12, 14, 15 days, it goes into a solar dryer where it spends at least another three weeks until that coffee is completely dried to 12.5% humidity. And that would be called a full natural. You know, the other option on the natural would be after about eight or 10 days, you rehydrate it quickly and you run it through that depulper and then you put it back in the solar dryer and spends another probably seven or eight days until it's dried down. To me, that coffee doesn't have the same pop as the full natural does, but it's a safer bet. It doesn't go, it doesn't over ferment. Uh, it still has some really good fruit flavors, things like that in it. Still a really good coffee. It's just not my favorite. And it's not really, neither one of those are very cost effective. They're very, very difficult coffees to produce and they take a month to dry. And so, for us, that's not. You know, we do about ten percent of our coffee in the natural. But I love the flavors. Right. But from a, a business standpoint, we lose a lot of coffee, and it over ferments too quick, and then it's not a very good coffee anymore. I'm a lover of naturals, <laughs> so uh, I love oh, yeah. my natural processed coffee. So just to put it like in uh, just in super simple terms, like so processing coffee. Really, we're talking about, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just the way that the the cherry. Uh, like the red outside, what they call it, silver skin, or that's not right. What's the right term? Like the outside red coating no, is removed. The well in the in the United States they call it cherry, cherry. It, but in the, in Honduras they call it uva, which which means grape, okay. and it has the taste of a grape and the consistency of a grape. And so that's when that's depulping. That's when we take that cherry off. Gotcha. After it's dried, it's in parchment. And so when we get ready to make it, what you guys would see is green coffee, we dehull it. And so that's when we take the husk off. And then that silver skin, uh, silver skin is that last little bit that's, that comes out as chafe when you roast it. Okay. Not too long ago, I talked to someone else and they explained to me what a honey process was. But, you know, because I didn't, I never knew any better. I figured it had to do with honey. <laughs> I figured they took the coffee cherry and like threw it in a big pot of honey or something. But uh, since since recently, I figured well, out that's not it, true. Uh, it gets his name honey from because it's sticky and sweet. Gotcha. And so they call it honey. And it's and so, uh, it's the mus it's called it's called the mucilage that's around the coffee bean. Right, and that's just a little part that's still on there, and it's real sticky. And after about a day, it starts getting even stickier. Hmm. And so yeah, that's the part that's left on after you take the cherry off. And is that part high in, like, sugar content, I'm assuming? You know, I've never put it in the refractometer to see what the sugar content of it is. We test the juice from the cherry, and we want that to be at least 17 18% uh, sugar. But we, I've never chased, uh, tested the mucilage. I'll have to do that mm -hmm. and see, what it, see how it comes out. Yeah. Um, do you guys uh, at all, like, sell your, uh, they call it cascara, the, the tea where you can take the, the old... Um, like cherry husks or whatever, and, and you can brew it as tea. Have you heard of that? They call it cascara? Uh, well, uh, it's an incorrect term, but a te cuscaria. Cuscaria is actually the husk. Okay. 
But in answer to your question, yes, we, we ferment and dry the uh, coffee cherry. And if I've got some of this here at the house, I'll send it to you. And we make a tea out of it. Yeah. And it's really strong. It's and then good. after I brew the tea, a lot of times I'll eat the cherry. Uh, I like the way that tastes right. after it's been brewed. But we do make that. I haven't I haven't perfected it yet. Yeah. Uh, but we do try that. And we've tried it with every one of the different varieties. And I've figured the variety that I like best. And so next year, we'll actually we'll have that on the internet for our in our coffee sales. And we're selling green coffee. We'll sell the uh, the Tecascaria as well. Cool. Yeah, I got to try that a few years back, and uh, I kind of fell in love with it. I haven't had it in a while, but um, it was super good. Yeah, it, to me, it had like a it had like a, a very sweet, a naturally sweet kind of flavor to it. Um, yeah, not your typical uh, cup I, of tea. <laughs> No, uh, and I've, I've had it tested at a few places. Uh, they actually, there's a, a one farm there that's making coffee out of the uh, flower. You can pick a honey, like on the honeysuckle, you know how you pull the little stem or whatever it's called out of the bottom and there's a little sweet drop of dew on it, on the honeysuckle. Okay. With the coffee leaf, the coffee flower is exactly the same way. Interesting. You can pull that through and have like a little drop of sweet honey on it. Yeah. And so... Um, a lot of I haven't tried producing it that way, but a lot of people are picking those flowers and making a tea out of them. Cool, but of course that makes the plant not produce coffee. Oh, so yeah. It's, uh, yeah. But uh, no, we're trying everything just to see what works best. Cool. Uh, maybe one more question I'll ask you is uh, maybe just briefly, and it doesn't have to be super exhaustive because there's a lot, I guess. But what uh, what are some of the varietals that you grow on your farm? Um, and what are some of the main, like, coffee varietals? Okay, Olympira is our main coffee that we have on the farm. But we also, in this next year's offerings, our crops will be mature and producing uh, a couple of new ones. Olympira uh, is the main one, but we'll also have a yellow Catuí. We'll have a red Bourbon. We'll have a Ica 2 and a Pacamara. Okay. And so those will be next year's crops, and and they'll be a very limited offering. We might have a couple of bags, you know, big Ute bags, big burlap bags of all of those. Yeah, interesting. And that'll only be offered to the home roasters. Cool. What are the um of of the of the varietals you guys are kind of playing with? What have you noticed is um, maybe your favorite, or has like which ones have I don't know specific flavor profiles. I've, I've always leaned towards the yellow Catoe. Uh, the first farm that we bought had a few of those, but after the Laroya hit, we lost so many of them. And I wasn't living in Honduras at the time, and so that when that Laroya hit, uh, the guy that was running the farm for us, you know, just didn't have very good luck with saving a lot of the plants. So we got away from it. But then when I moved there, I planted about two acres of the yellow Catoe. And so now it's in its fourth year, so it should be producing. But it has, it's a very complex cup. It has the uh, citrus in it with the fruity. And so I really like that. You know, this, it's just a good coffee, yeah. a really good coffee. Cool. Yeah, I've always uh, been interested in all the different uh, kind of varietals of coffee. But there's so many of them that they're almost intimidating. You know, I know that, like, I've had Pacamaros I like. And I know that uh, I've had, um, what are they, I guess, like, pea, isn't Peaberry a varietal, I guess? No, no, no okay. there's a type of thing. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty ignorant, I guess, on the different varietals. But um, I've heard of some well, of them. There's, <laughs> there's a lot so of many, yeah. 
a lot to keep up with. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but pea berry is actually one that uh, normally when you pop that cherry open, there's two seeds in it. And pea berry is when it only produces one, one seed okay. and it's small and round. Gotcha. And a lot of countries still consider those defects. Interesting. And they and they they don't end up in the market a lot of times because when we're doing the shaker to su- separate the small beans from the big beans, they go down with all the broken beans and fractured beans mm. because they're so small. Interesting. Cool. And it's a very small percentage that come out as pea berries. You know, just produce one. Yeah. Seems like certain countries like Tanzania, like all they do is pea berries. It must be like I don't know, just. Kind of like uh, how it's developed over there or something? I don't know. They'll probably have, I think worldwide, it's only like 3% of the coffee that's grown is pea berries. Interesting. But we have started doing something. Last year, I planted seeds, just pea berry seeds. And so we have about 10 plants that are going to be planted in the ground this year. And I want to test and see if a pea berry seed planted will produce a plant that produces more pea berries and so yeah. it'll take a couple of years to find out but we'll we'll see so since i have you on the phone <laughs> um just you have you have a lot of a wealth of knowledge how, how many um how many like uh coffee cherries does one shrub produce typically it's, it's going to be like uh catalini is a very desirable a very you know it's higher and more expensive uh you know pound of coffee and the reason is because one year it'll produce really well, and the next year it doesn't. And it produces a smaller bean, and it produces a lot less bean. So my my pacas, my catuies, and my bourbons are the lowest producing producing plant on the farm. Um, I've never tried to you know count the beans, but I would bet that if, the catuie would probably have like three hundred beans. You know. Uh, okay. Uh, versus a Lempira, Noventa, the the uh, Perinamus, probably going to have maybe four or five hundred on average. So they'll produce quite a bit, and it's going to be a gotcha. larger bean also. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I could probably ask you a thousand more questions about coffee shrubs and trees and varietals and stuff, but I'm sure we both have things to get to. So, um, but uh, hey, this has been super super insightful. And informative, you know. I talked to many roasters, but uh, I've never really talked to a coffee farmer before, so this is the first. Well, and, and anybody, um, uh, and, you know, uh, doesn't matter if you're a home roaster or you've got a hundred pound probat. We have an apartment on the farm, and people are welcome to come out anytime. Uh, there's no charge for the apartment. That's awesome. Uh, and so just come and experience the farm. So if people want to um, get a hold of you or buy some of your beans, just go to legacyfarm.com. Uh, legacyfarmscoffee.com. Gotcha. Cool. Um, so yeah, go check out their coffee. Um, and anyway, we can, I guess you have a Facebook, any other, you have an Instagram or anything we can connect with you. Uh, I'm not sure what the name is on Instagram and all, uh, but you can email us through the, uh, we're going to get a little more into the social media. I need to do more on Facebook and things. Um, but the main way to get in touch with us is the legacy forums, but I'm Ashley Williams on Facebook. So you'll you'll see there's the coffee plants on there, so you'll be able to find me that way. <laughs> Good, cool. Well, we appreciate your time so much. Um, thanks for chatting with us, and uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime down I'd the road. I'd love to anytime. Man, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. 
Uh, Ashley had so much awesome information to share with us just about what goes on uh, in, the, in the coffee industry on the farm. And so he was kind enough to send me some samples in the mail that I'm excited to, to try out. He sent me a, a honey processed, uh, washed, and a natural. Uh, so kind of just you know one of each of those processes he talked about. I'm excited to try those. And uh, check out his website, LegacyFarmsCoffee.com. I'll put it. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. If you want to um, just check out what they're doing and connect with them, maybe buy some some beans off them. Hey, as we're wrapping up today, one thing you could do that would really really help us uh, get the word out and get this podcast more more visibility is if you could leave a review or rate and or rate this uh, this podcast. It's super super simple. It would take you 30 seconds. Um, you can literally just tap. Um, tap the five stars if you go to our podcast and you can tap just tap five stars and um, there's a little there's a little button to write a review and, and even if you say hey you know stuff that you you learned stuff that you you enjoyed from the podcast that would be awesome for us to help us um, get the word out so if someone uh, someone's searching um, like like I was you know even a couple months ago you know if someone like me was searching on podcast app trying to find uh, a podcast on home roasting that ours would pop up and it would be easy for them to find uh, so they can they can learn and grow with us. So make sure you do that. And then also uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. We will put out two episodes a month. And uh, if, you, if you subscribe, then uh, those episodes will automatically pop up in your podcasting app and you won't miss one of those episodes. And also you can follow us on Instagram at Home Roasting Pro. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Home Roasting Pro podcast. I can't wait to see you next time.